when I was not a Christian, when I was unsaved. Um, and um, the thought that if my life ended at that time, I would have, I would have died without God, uh, is a, it, to me is the most horrifying thought ever. Mm. What drives me is this, that there are still billions who do not know God yet. Not millions, I think billions, who mm. do not yet know God. The, in, 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 I'm talking about in the biblical sense, right. who do not know God. Many people know God, many people know of God or know of Jesus. They have a cerebral or uh, knowledge, knowledge about him, but not a relationship, a life-changing relationship with him through his spirit and through the gospel. And so what drives me is that there's too many people and too little time. Welcome to the Hacker Podcast. This week, I was blessed to sit down with Dr. Vonnie Marshall for an amazing conversation. She is an evangelist who has ministered to millions through her powerful testimony, which you can find linked in the description of this episode. I know you will be blessed by her ministry today. If you enjoy the audio version of this podcast, feel free to check us out on YouTube. Now, let's get to the conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us tonight, Sister Marshall. Thank you, Greg. Good to be here. Yeah, it was, uh, I was a bit nervous inviting you on, but I'm so happy that you said yes to have a chat while you're here in Australia at the ministering at the National Ladies Conferences. Yes. Yeah, it, it's been a blessing to have you with us. Thank you. So I'd like to start off these conversations by getting to know the guests a little bit, especially for those who are listening. You know, they may not know you at all. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your background, it doesn't have to be much, it can be brief, but just a little bit, bit about you know where you come from, that sort of thing. All right. Um, I was born in Malaysia. Uh, I'm of Indian descent. That means my parents, grandparents are from India, but not me. I'm from, I'm from Malaysia. And then um, uh, we immigrated to the United States, and um, that was, that's really it. That's my mm. basic background. I was educated in England. Um, uh, from primary school, they call it primary school, right up to uh, my bachelor's degree. I did that in England, and then the rest of my education was in the United States. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I thought I had noticed your accent a bit, and I didn't. I hadn't <laughs> known your whole backstory, so I didn't know. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yes. So sort of half grew up in England. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So you, so you're born in Malaysia, grew up in England, and then migrated over to the U.S. That is that is right. Yeah, and and you have a powerful testimony. Many many people would have heard it, and if they haven't heard it, we're we're not going to talk about it here today, just because mm -hmm. we have limited time. Yeah. Um, but it's all over the internet. It's on YouTube. We'll link it actually in in the show notes of this episode, Wonderful. so people will be able to find it straight away. Wonderful. But um, moving from that, you you found your way into the church, yes. and and um, was following after the call of God mm -hmm. on your life. When did you? first feel the call to ministry, what, what was that like for you? You know, when I was um, baptized um, in, Je in Jesus' name and received the Holy Ghost, I did not recognize what a call felt like. Mm. You know, I, I don't think many people who are new converts even understand what a call of God is. All I felt was that I needed to get my testimony and needed to get the gospel out to people. Mm. The call of God came in that passion to reach people. Yep. But I did not recognize it as a call. I just thought, I just felt it as an urgency. 
And I think that that's what a call is, that it comes as a passion first. And then God confirms it through people in your life that are safe people. Godly people in your life will confirm the passion. Mm. I think that's one of the aspects of knowing, oh, this is what I'm called to do. At first, I didn't know I was called to evangelize or preach the gospel. I just wanted to share it with everybody. I started with my family. That didn't go down very well oh. uh, because, you know, they came from a different religion altogether. Mm-hmm. But then neighbors, friends started teaching Bible studies almost within months of getting baptized in Jesus' name. Wow. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was, we were in Bible school today and we were talking about Paul and he was, he was talking about how that he felt this compulsion like yes. he had to share the gospel, and and he even uses the word "woe is me" if I'm if I don't share the gospel. Exactly. Right. And is that kind of how you were feeling there, where you, where you had that passion just to? Yes, you know, you mentioned Paul. As soon as he had that Damascus Road experience, he just wanted to follow Jesus Christ, and mm-hmm. then and then he of course God healed him of his blindness, and then it, there was no huge gap before that and him starting to yeah. preach. He just went about doing it, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, I'm not comparing myself at all with that great apostle, you know. But um, but yes, I I just I remember coming out of the waters of baptism, and I, I called a family member to tell them, look, you need to follow Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I just did what I thought was normal, or every convert does. But um, but that passion didn't die; it it increasingly became deeper and deeper. And so I used to teach. Uh, uh, Bible studies, literally, and this is not an exaggeration, between six to seven days a week. Wow. That's every day of the week. Wow. I taught Bible studies, and sometimes twice a day. So I used to teach between seven to 12 Bible studies a week. Mm-hmm. And when I say Bible studies, some of it was group, some of it was one-to-one. Some of it was, I didn't know enough of the word to teach it in depth, like a seasoned Bible study teacher. I was a new convert. Mm. But then somebody handed me a search for truth chart and said, Mm. well, if you just look at it and repeat what it's on there, you'll teach a Bible study. Mm -hmm. So I learned while teaching. Wow. And then um, it helped when I went to Bible school. I went to Bible school, and that helped to um, answer a lot of questions. Which Bible school did you attend? Uh, The Bible school that I went to was the Bible school in Malaysia. Oh, okay. Malaysia, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Apostolic Bible Institute. Oh, wow. Yes. It's not connected to ABI here, <laughs> but uh, but Apostolic Bible Institute is the Asian Bible school that, of course, it's affiliated with yes. BCI, yeah. absolutely. And, uh, you know, um, going to Bible school and graduating just settled some questions in my mind about, you know, I had a better understanding of doctrine, but mm-hmm. I the, the desire to teach and the desire to reach people and, you know, pray with them through the Holy Ghost and get them baptized was something that happened... When I come, came out of the water, mm. so yeah, yeah, and so like so that led you down this path towards ministry. Yes, and and then ultimately you stepped into to what God is. Over time, you've stepped into what God is having you do now. So, mm-hmm. um, do you have any advice that you would give to someone out there who who is sort of on that journey as well? They're they're taking those first steps towards ministry. They they're not exactly sure. They may feel called. They may not necessarily know if they're called. Yes. That sort of thing. Especially uh, women in ministry. Do you have anything yes. that you would like to share on that? And I know that a lot of people think that because you're a woman, your ministry is limited. I I really mm. don't believe that. I think that a woman and a man can minister maybe in different ways and in different uh, uh, different ways. But I don't think it, it, it needs to be different in depth right. or need. Um, my advice would be this. First of all, um, you have to have a communication life with God. 
Mm. In other words, a prayer life. Yeah. You have to have a prayer life. If you don't have a prayer life, it's very easy to be led into deception, thinking that you are, not that you won't be called, but that you'll be called to do this, but you're not hearing from God because you're not praying. Mm. So instead, actually, you're being called to do something else. You're still being called, but then you're thinking it's this rather than that. Right. But because of the lack of prayer and lack of communication, you lack discernment. And we cannot afford to not have discernment, especially in today's world. Mm. Be full of the Holy Ghost. Get into the Word. Allow God to speak to you rather than you do most of the talking in prayer. <laughs> you know, sometimes we do that. You know, we eighty percent we talk and we allow God to talk to us twenty percent. But actually, it's supposed to be, because he's he has the words of life. Yes, and surely he has more to say to us than the other way around. Right. So, so um, uh, and so I always tell them have a effective prayer life, which includes lots of listening, talk as well to God, but lots of listening so that He can direct you. That's the first thing. Second thing, a lot of people that are graduate uh, they they come out of Bible school, not just Bible school. As soon as uh, they feel okay, I mean, I, you know, I, God calls people and God chooses people. So what they do is um, they feel that they must jump straight into the call that God has described in their heart. For example, mm. some people will feel, well, um, I think I'm called to be an evangelist. That's particular. That's perfectly legitimate. Or I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to be an apostle. I'm called to be a prophet. That's perfectly legitimate. And that that very well could be the call of God, but if you're not even doing one Bible study in your mm. kitchen, yeah, if, if you're not willing to to engage in a Bible study or engage in a conversation about God to one person, there is no way that um, you can just straight away jump into uh, the evangelist uh, ministry or the apostle mm. or the pastor's ministry and be effective. Yeah. If you're not willing, if God cannot trust you with fifty cents, mm. why should He trust you with five dollars? Mm. You know, yeah. five dollars being the, act- the, the the greater call. Yes, fifty cents being your Bible study. So, yeah. I started my ministry by just teaching Bible study. I was not looking at the platform mm. or to be an evangelist or to be a women's conference speaker. Not at all. I actually thought nobody's going to invite me to speak in any place or whatever. I mean, it, and it doesn't matter. All I wanted to do is tell somebody that Jesus saves. Mm. and get them to obey the gospel and connect with God and then have a godly life. I would have been very happy. I'm still happy doing Bible. Till today, even though I travel a lot, I'm happy doing uh, one-to-one or one-to-group Bible studies. That is my passion till today. And if somebody is not willing to do a simple Bible study with your neighbor, with your friend, with your mother, with your father, with your whoever, then you can forget about the greater call. Mm. Because, you know, I mean... It's dangerous, as a matter of fact. And a lot of people that, when they graduate Bible school, they tend to think, well, I'm graduated Bible school now, so I'll go and apply to some churches. Maybe they'll use me as an evangelist. And then I have actually interviewed and talked to evangelists in counseling, which is what I do. And um, when I talk to them, I'm like, well, you're an evangelist, but, you know, um, and you jumped from graduating Bible school straight into evangelism or straight into pastoring or straight into being an assistant pastor or a departmental leader because the pastor was impressed with your resume, you had a degree in Pentecostal theology and all of that is wonderful, but have you ever taught a Bible study? Mm -hmm. I know you graduated with it, but have you, you, it's unbelievable how many people out of Bible school have not taught. Wow. Yeah, but they have applied to. Yeah. This is not. This is not a a criticism. It is a critique, but yeah. it's not like you know. I'm I'm not 
saying anything. It's an observation. It is an observation. Yeah. It, um, it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm criticizing or I'm putting somebody down, but so many get trapped into the, I've graduated now, I'm now qualified to be an associate or an assistant or a departmental leader. I will do that. It will only lead to frustration because when you go there, you're not equipped because the reason you well you're equipped with the education and yeah. theology you've got all a lot of head knowledge mm -hmm. but you're not equipped to actually win people and evangelize and grow the church and so you get frustrated why aren't you equipped because you don't you you block off the the essential experience that is needed to uh, that comes with teaching home bible studies or personal bible studies or going out to the byways go to the store mm. talk to strangers that is the best post Bible school experience that mm. I can recommend. Go to Kroger's, go to Coles, go to wherever, yeah. um, Walmart, and, and talk to a stranger and invite them to a group thing or invite them to coffee. It doesn't even have to be an immediate Bible. Become relational. If not, then what you're doing is you are deceiving yourself into thinking that because you've got a degree in theology that you are equipped to expand the church. No, you are equipped to expand the church if you follow the ways of Jesus Christ. What did he do? He went to the highways and byways, and he reached people, mm. you know, uh, rich, poor, uh, immoral people, uh, thieves, scamps, rascals, good people, religious mm. people. He tried to reach all of them. He, yeah. he uh, and, and, and he, he's God, but then he proved his ministry by being relational. Mm -hmm. Somebody who's not relational if, if um, they're hired in, in any kind of position in church, it leads to frustration mm -hmm. because our main calling is to preach the gospel. Amen. You know, Matthew 28, yeah. you know, go ye into all nations and um, baptizing them in the name. I think a lot of that has to do with um, the development of the church, of the church, especially the, the Pentecostal church over the last hundred years. It's becoming more and more technical you know, there's a bit more expertise involved. I've noticed, like, so many people are, are getting master's degrees now in theology. <laughs> it seems like almost every pastor is getting a master's degree. And this, again, this isn't a critique. Uh, you know, I, I believe in education. Obviously, you do, um, having your doctorate. Um, but we can fall into the trap where, as you said, we're, we're replacing um, that sort of spiritual understanding that we can gain through relationship, that, um, that growth that we can experience through hands-on ministry we can replace that with head knowledge and think that that we have actually done something you know yes you know the simple the most simple basic apostolic methodology of reaching the world was to um, share or we call it preach but share the gospel preach the gospel to everybody and anybody he sent mm -hmm. them two by two you know, he didn't send them with degrees. Now, I'm not. I am absolutely for education. I Obviously, mean, I'm. Yeah. I'm. I think I, I would love to be an eternal student. Mm. I, I would love to just some, sit somewhere and research. You know, I, I would be happy doing that. But um, the apostolic method, if you like, if you like to use the word method, the apostolic method, the apostolic technique, um, was to go two by two, mm -hmm. and go to people's homes. Eat with them. Food was such a huge part of the apostolic lifestyle. You know, food was they break they broke bread and shared the apostolic doctrine. Go to people's homes, make relationships, build relationships, 
um, veer the conversation, not obnoxiously or rudely, but veer it gently towards your experience with God. They can argue with your theology, but they cannot argue with your testimony. Right. They cannot argue with what happened in your life. It happened to you. Mm-hmm. So uh, veer that conversation towards uh, what God did for you and, and get them to discuss it with you. You're not there to lecture, but you're there to discuss God with them right. and build that relationship. Nothing might happen in the first the first visit, but build that relationship in the second and the third. My husband, uh, Brother Marshall and I, um, we've been in the apostolic movement for 31 years. And I don't know at any point in that 31 years where we have not done it that way. Meaning mm. that, both, I mean, he's a doctor as well. Mm. He's a doctor of theology. Yeah. You know, and, um, well, we could have just um, sort of laid back and s- s- sat on those educational laurels, <laughs> if you like, you yeah. know, oh, I'm a doctor, you know, yeah. let me just get a job and whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no. The, uh, um, for 31 years, we've visited people's homes, clinics, pharmacies, stores, restaurants, you know, uh, I always tell people, I've, I've told ministers this, I've told evangelists this. I said, look, don't, when you go to a restaurant, you know, please don't go there to eat. I mean, you go there to win the waitress. Mm. While you're there, you know, get some food, you know, order a hamburger and have, mm. have a good meal. But you're, you're, you have, we have to change our paradigm. There has to be a paradigm shift. Meaning if you go to a pharmacy, don't just go there to... F- you know, fill your prescription. Go there to share the Lord. I mean, you don't have to be preachy to do that, but build that relationship with the pharmacist. Build a, rela- a normal relationship and then veer that conversation to a something God did for you. And then, you know, without coming across as obnoxious or fanatical or weird. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes uh, we, you know, uh, uh, we can, we can <laughs> fall into that trap of being super spiritual. Uh, Jesus doesn't want us to be super anything. He just wants us to follow in his footsteps. So everywhere Jesus went, he talked about regular stuff. And he talked about wheat, corn, widows, judges. He talked about uh, the Samaritan. He talked about wounds. He talked about selfish people, good people. And he talked to all kinds of people, you know, right. Zacchaeus to prostitutes, right? And um, he he didn't go there and, 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 and stand in front of regular people and preached Moses and the Ten Commandments, <laughs> they wouldn't have understood. Right, you yeah. know, if he started talking about the Torah and the and 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 you know and all of that, they would have been okay. No, he talked about things they related with, you know, wheat and corn and fishing and all of that. Mm-hmm. And then he brought in God. Mm. So th- that's why they followed him because yeah. he took time to build a relationship. Mm. You know, I would like entire communities to follow. Every apostolic evangelist or pastor, when I say follow, I don't mean follow as in Facebook, Twitter. I'm talking <laughs> about, <laughs> that might be not too, too bad an idea, but follow meaning, uh, oh, I want to be with you. Can I, can I talk to you more? There's something about you. You take time to talk to me. You're not all about your evangelism or your evangelist position or your, your position in ministry. You are about building relationships. You're about caring for me as a person and you're bringing God to me. My husband and I have done that, I think, from the very beginning, from the time we were both baptized mm. in his name, till today. Yeah. And, and, you're, and you're still doing that. You're and, st- and, and, and I, will, I, I 
I pray I will never stop mm. and allow uh, anything else to distract me, education or whatever to distract me. Now, of course, you have different audiences. Some yeah. audiences are more well-versed in the Bible, so you could go into a, a different, maybe a theological bent there. Yeah. And some, they're just regular, ordinary people, housewives, business people, and you know, students and, and, and people who are pursuing careers, a degree. They've got enough stress and exams you know, and all of that. Mm. So you, what they don't need is um, someone who does not cannot relate to them and right. and and uh, you have to make it relevant when i say relevant it does not mean you water down the doctrine relevant meaning that you need to meet them where they're at mm. jesus was never intimidated he was a rabbi a jewish rabbi never touched alcohol he was clean i mean i'm not i'm talking about jesus the son of the man yes because yes, yes. of course jesus is god but the man jesus christ mm -hmm. uh, he was clean he went he talked to prostitutes much to the anger of the people that even followed him. Yeah. What are you doing? Are you talking to an unclean? He says, look, I'm not here about whether they're clean or unclean. I mean, I want them. I, I'm here to make sure that they have a relationship with God. Mm -hmm. I have three and a half years. Yeah, that's his priority. That's it. His priority was people. People. Yeah. And the reason why thousands followed him was not because he was a theological giant, which he is. Of course, he's God. Yeah. He's the one who gave the commandments. He was right. the author of the commandments. But that's not the reason people followed. They followed him because they felt that he cared about their soul, mm. their their life, yeah. the, whether they were hungry or not. I mean, mm. he didn't just stand there and preach Moses for two hours. He multiplied fish and bread because he was worried that they were hungry. Right. He was not like, I'm sorry, but it's church. And you have to get your food in your own time. So after I've preached everything and, yeah. and, and made this you know, deep discursion into um, or the Torah and whatever, then you can go and get your burger. No. He was like, you know what? You're hungry. Let's, let's feed you and then mm. we'll talk. And then, and then in the feeding, he shows the miracle of God. Yeah, he didn't yeah. need to preach after that because yeah. after the fish and the loaves were multiplied, what do you preach after that? Mm. They're like, oh my goodness, God is real. And... That guy over there is very special. and He's either connected to God or he is God or he's got something, you know. And then mm -hmm. Nicodemus comes to him and says, you know, you do all these miracles, right? Um, so you either must be from God or there's something about you. So because, because you can't do all these miracles unless God was with you. Right. Well, now Nicodemus was a different sorry to say this word, market altogether. He was not an ordinary person. He was a theologian. So Jesus was not going to talk to him about corn and wheat and fish and fishing. Jesus went straight into, unless you are born again you know, of water and the spirit, yep. um, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. He, he just went straight into it. He, he was not going to waste, because Nicodemus was already well-versed into yeah. uh, theology. So he was not going to give parables to uh, Nicodemus. He was just going to go, look, be born again. Yeah, and even in that, and even in that moment, he he did tie in an analogy as well, even yeah. with Nicodemus. But yeah, I mean that's that's such such great insight that it's not you know the the audience determines the message. Absolutely. You know, and and we have to share the gospel however way that we can, Absolutely. and also we need to re remind ourselves that that's why we're here. You know, we're not here to make a podcast, even though we like podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're not here to do all these other things, but we're here to share the gospel. And if we're not doing that, then we're wasting time. Well, I love podcasts or anything that can get the message uh, through the airways. I think that uh, if 
Paul was sitting here, he would have loved it too. He mm. would have said, yes, let's do a podcast right <laughs> now. It'll get to more people. But seriously, it is about that. It's about the message. And yes, the audience does determine. The, and that's what I mean by being relevant. Yes. Not relevant meaning let's ch change church into a social club. Mm. That's, that's not the relevant I'm talking about. Or trying to just be relevant to culture. That's right. Yeah. Because, because Christianity is not cross-cultural. It has never been cross-cultural. Mm. It is counter-cultural. That's so good. That's difference between cross-culture means that you make Christianity fit into every culture. No. Christianity cannot be... F can Christianity wasn't made to fit. No. No. It's counter-culture. That means we look at a particular culture and see how that culture can fit into Christianity. Mm -hmm. It's the other way around. Yeah. To bring that culture into the kingdom rather than, uh, you know, we're trying to fit the kingdom into the expectation of a culture. So it's not cross-cultural. It's counter-cultural. Yeah. And so that's very important to understand. And so, yeah, you know, get into people's homes. Get into their space without being obnoxious. And... Um, care for them, you know, really find out where they're at, you know, are they divorced, are they broke, uh, are, they, are they a single mom trying to, you know, make it through college and taking care of two children, are they, are they alone, are they depressed, are they anxious, are they suicidal, there are teens out there, they are suicidal, and, you know, we, can't, we cannot afford to have churches, uh, church just for church's sake, mm. when, when there are, uh, you know, streets and, and, and communities full of, of young people struggling and suffering and they're suicidal and they're cutting themselves and everything. Now I'm talking like a counselor, I'm sorry. But, you know, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're hurting mm. and, and, and here we are worried about, you know, and I'm not, this is again not a criticism, it's an observation, but we cannot be distracted with so many programs that we forget about what's outside in the world, mm -hmm. a suffering, struggling group of people that are hurting. Yes. So... You know, um, I, I, and there are young people, as I said, and, and adults that are just miserable and hurting and alone. And they don't, they don't, they're not impressed with the Christianity of, of today as much because the Christianity of today, as, as you said just now, you know, we get so technical, you know, we, we, we put it on billboards and, and surround it with neon lights, but it's, it's, it, it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, you can put as, very nice thing. I've got I've got nothing against billboards and Christianity and the neon lights. It's good if you get it. But what really would get their attention is not the billboard or the neon lights. What will really get attention is you go to their neighborhoods mm. and feed them, yeah. talk to them, make sure that, that that the suicidal girl that's cutting herself is not alone. Mm. You know, and don't be so intimidated because she's going to tell you stuff that you've never heard before because she's lived a life that is horrific. And you've lived a life kind of safe and yeah. that's not been in your space. Yeah. But, you know, don't be intimidated by that. Be friends and, and, and you know, it's, it's unbelievable what you can do. My husband and I, we do a lot of street ministry and evangelism, traveling with um, missions and, and trying to help yeah, churches. Yeah, let's get into that. Yes. I wanted, to, I wanted to talk to you about that as well because, as you said, you've been doing this for 31 years. You're still doing it. Yeah. And it was interesting. I was talking to you last night about it, and you were telling me what you guys are up to right now, which is you're partnering with missions. You're yes. going to churches yes. and, and helping build churches. Yes. Um, now, maybe not physically with your hands, but no. you're trying to help uh, build the congregation. Yes. Um, would you mind explaining to us a little bit about, about what you all are doing right now? Um, we are based out of uh, the church in Alexandria, Louisiana, the Pentecostals of Alexandria. Our pastor is Brother Anthony Mangan. And um, we were there for several years uh, on staff. Um, I was a counselor 
on in that church and um, and uh, my husband was the evangelism pastor of that church large church mm-hmm. and they had a lot of evangelistic events and programs to bring people in were very successful one of the things that we used to do there was um, street ministry and of course home bible studies and reaching into the lives of just the community right so um, when we decided that okay we are we are we are pouring everything into our church what would happen if we not left the church because we were still based out of there but did not physically reside in Louisiana but started traveling all over the United States and whatever we did at the POA we did with the other churches that I means mm-hmm. got alongside the pastor of a church so we went to Texas in Houston got alongside the pastor then helped him uh, you know start some things and 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 build and then got alongside the church in Ohio a church in Ohio and started multicultural ministries there they did not have a multicultural ministries then we started that and reached multicultural people people from you know i mean you're talking about the university of ohio was, was just around the corner yeah. and columbus and everything so um reached into the multicultural community there then we had um so what we do is we get along between 6 months to a year we get al- we'll get alongside the pastor and they hire us so yeah. to speak so for example if a church is running at 250 to 300 people but they want to break the ceiling and go to 5 or 600 people well they hire us mm-hmm. and and they tell us you know so you, you you are operating you two are operating like biblical evangelists yeah <laughs> like, well, like because we have you know I the, hope so. <laughs> well we have like the evangelists that we we call nowadays like technically i'm an evangelist with the upca sure um, yes and i'm going on an evangelist trip this weekend but i'm yeah. going for three days and i'm coming back right. whereas in the bible typically the, the people that were described as evangelists they were the ones going to a city and they're going to go and there they for stayed. A, yes they stayed for, for a long time. yes long time when brother marshall and i um actually um We, as you said you pointed to the bible and what the evangelists were biblical evangelists well we studied that mm-hmm. and we looked at that and said you know they didn't and and of course they are evangelists they can only afford to go for three days i mean yeah. they're they've family they've got a job you can't just leave all that and go away for six months or whatever i mean not everyone is a paul paul wasn't married <laughs> you see <laughs> and um but but you're right in the bible evangelists got they went to a city and they stayed in the city and they evangelized mm-hmm. the entire city and sometimes they would take three months Paul went to three missionary trips to to different places Asia mm-hmm. Minor Europe you know different places um basically Asia Minor actually and um and he went three times and he went into you know fell into persecution but the thing is though sometimes three days may work i mean you go there the church is already brought in A the harvest, harvest yeah. the evangelist goes in in three days and gathers the harvest mm-hmm. so the evangelist is like a a sickle mm-hmm. you know he he the wheat is already there and all he does is he gathers the harvest and ties them up in bundles and that three day that that's that, that's your weekend evangelism right that's as effective but the kind of evangelism that my husband and i have been doing uh for for the last several years and want to continue to do until the, the lord comes back is we go to a city we find out which pastor wants to break that glass ceiling you know do are you okay with 200 mm-hmm. if you're okay then well that's fine we're not we don't want to you know yeah, um yeah. Uh, stir or not stir so much but you know if if they're comfortable and they're okay with that then we're going to leave that alone but if a pastor is hungry and says no i i want i want i want to be 500 mm-hmm. i don't want to plateau yeah 
you know, I've been 300, I've been 300 for two or three years. I don't want to plateau. Then they hire us and we go there and we stay. Sometimes we stay for six months. Mm. It depends. And sometimes in six months, the ground is broken and souls are coming in. We, we strategically um, mentor and train people on what to do after we leave. Mm. And so they continue. There, there are different things we do. Yeah, that's amazing. And, um, and they continue to do it. So we don't just make sure that we are the only ones doing it and then nobody else is being mentored. Then when we leave, everything will... It will it'll it'll go apart. down, yeah. yeah. It'll, it'll flop. go back to normal. It, it'll go back to how it was yeah. because then they'll say, well, you know, Brother Marshall and Stevani are not here, so, well, you know, no. We, we, we're there to also mentor and train. Yeah. And so what we do is from altar work to multicultural evangelism to teaching free English classes to internationals that live in that, con- in, in that city to uh, street ministry to home Bible study to MIA fellowship, guest follow-up, there's so many strategies, and we could sit here for the next few hours and do all those strategies, but that's what we do. And we, we, we have it in writing. We actually write yeah. this down, mm. and, and, and it's all planned on paper. That means you can read it and learn the strategy, but it's, um, you can't, you, well, you can learn the strategy, but it's best to you actually be mentored in that strategy. Right. And that is why they, they bring us in and we mentor them. In fact, We've finished one year in Tennessee, and Tennessee Church is continuing everything that Brother Marshall taught them on evangelistic strategy. They're still continuing. Now, when he leaves a city, when we leave a city, we don't just forget that city that we left. We tend to, with the pastor's permission, we still Zoom them or Skype them, and and we are there to answer questions Mm. because we were there all this while. All of a sudden, we're not there. Yeah. Right? So now we've moved to Florida. Well, the, like the Tennessee people can still have access to us and say, okay, everything is good. We're doing everything you did. We're seeing a lot of people come in and they're getting saved, but we've had a roadblock. There's something here. Help us. So we have Zoom sessions and we do troubleshooting. Yeah. So it's like a computer guy goes in and fixes something mm-hmm. and then you can still have access to, the, to his expertise so that he can troubleshoot through Zoom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> something like that, you know. That's amazing. Yeah. And so that's very important that we are available to troubleshoot. Today, we have moved to Florida and we are in a beautiful part of Florida, Tampa, Clearwater. We live in Clearwater and we have a, an apartment very near the, uh, not very far from the beach and it's wonderful. It's very easy to get distracted there and forget about souls, <laughs> you know, but... But it's been amazing. Just in the last, um, just in the last few months, there have been, and and according to the church that we are there uh, in in Florida, that is this has never happened in the last many years. But in the last few months, we've had sixty to seventy people receive the baptism of the Holy wow, Ghost, and amazing. over thirty five baptized Praise just in God. the few months. Amen. And why? Because number one, you have to be intentional. You have to be intentional. You have to wake up in the morning and have a plan. Mm-hmm. You don't evangelize randomly. Mm. I mean, of course, you, you go to a store. You could, you could find yourself in a store or in a traffic jam or in a restaurant randomly. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, you meet somebody and that is sort of random, I guess. But then um, evangelism should not be random. You should wake up every morning saying, okay, you know, today I've got this place. I've got to go to work and then I'm going to eat here and then I'm probably going to pick up some milk and eggs here. So let me have my eyes peeled and see who I can connect with. So evangelism ha- cannot be random. It has to be intentional, has to be focused. Then you can be a soul winner. Mm. 
you know, no matter how many degrees you have. <laughs> yes, I, you know, I'm very thankful for my doctorate. I'm very thankful for it. It, it. it was totally God that helped me through it. I almost gave up because the research was so hard and I was drained and I thought I was going to burn out just doing my thesis that I thought, you know what, never mind. I, I, but God helped me and I finished it. However, none of that... I mean, I'm thankful for it, but none of that is what gives me a passion to reach souls. What gives me a passion to reach souls is um, my relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. Well, if, if this was just uh, you and me chatting and we didn't have anyone listening to this or yes. watching it, then I could probably talk to you about that uh, the rest of the podcast. But oh, thank you. Um, because we only have short time with sure. you and, and we're obviously we're grateful for your time, I did want to ask you a couple more questions. You talked about it, your your degree and yes. the difficulty of studying for that. It's yes. a doctorate in counseling. Yes. Now you have, you have, your undergrad is in different things or what's your undergrad? My in? bachelor's degree um, uh, is in law. Oh, um, yeah. When I was living in England, I went to law school. Mm-hmm. And so I studied law and um, I, re- I got a bachelor's degree in law. So you studied common law. Uh, well, Would you know, law? Uh, English law. English law. English yeah. law is divided into um, statutory law. Yep. You know, like bills, your 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 actual law, your regulations, and then you also have common law. Okay. So English law is not only based in common law; it's got two um, two streams to it. Yeah. Gosh, I've not <laughs> spoken about law in a long, long time. That was <laughs> that was random, but you know. <laughs> uh, just, but, it piques my interest because I'm American, living in Australia. Yeah. And so, like, uh, we have a friend who. Uh, studied law in Australia. Yes. She got married to a guy in Singapore. Yeah. She's no longer a lawyer because it's different law. It is different. Yeah. Yes. English law is different from American law. You can't mm. practice in America just because you have an English law degree. Yeah. You've got to go back and take your license, your bar, your your bar association license in America, based on whichever state you're in. And when your state has licensed you to practice, then you practice law. In England, uh, if you're a solicitor or an advocate, they call it a solicitor or barrister, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you you can practice in anywhere in England. It is not governed by state or whatever. You still have to have your bar association. Mm -hmm. You have to finish your bar. And um, so, yeah, I I have a degree in law. And um, I practiced law as a... uh, I was interning as as a junior attorney... Um, in a company, but I didn't really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy um, practicing law. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, it must have. It should. It should have been an exciting opportunity. Um, and I just didn't like it. I preferred to teach. Mm. And till today, even in you know uh, teaching Bible, you know teaching is my passion, obviously, and that yeah. is my calling. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, yeah. so we were talking about calling in the very beginning. My call is to teach, to mm. teach that. And there's nothing like teaching the, the word of God, yeah. more so than teaching law. But I ended up teaching law at a private law school. Oh, wow. So that's after my bachelor's degree. Yes. Well, then I thought, no, I'm going to go back to school. So my parents were very supportive. They were like, well, why are you going back? Are you, do you want to do a master's in law? I said, no, I'm going to do a master's <laughs> in psychology. So I did my master's in psychology in the United States. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, okay, you know, um, um, not that I had millions of dollars stashed away, but um, but I thought, you know, I think that a doctorate would help, you know, really open more doors, not in in the f- not only in the field of psychology, but even in outreach. Yeah. And it has. 
Believe yeah. it or not, yes. The doctor. Well, people you know, respect it. Yes. And yeah. so, you know, sometimes I would be meeting somebody in a community and a pastor would say, well, this is Dr. Vani. And they would pay attention immediately. And yeah. I'm like, my goodness. I wonder if they said this is just Vani. They would not have paid attention. <laughs> well, you know, it's not always the case. But sometimes you're right. You know, it, 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 there is some clout there. Yeah. And if you have clout, you could, you could use it, you, yeah. Know, yeah. For, you know, for the glory yeah, of God. Like in the, in the West, yeah, if you say doctor, people listen. They uh, do. And there's different parts of the world. If you say pastor, people listen. People listen. Yeah. Yes. But not in the West. Uh, no, no, <laughs> no, you're right. Absolutely. So I decided that um, I will complete my uh, doctorate in counseling. And um, and I received my doctorate. My, mm. my thesis was... Um, was thankfully accepted after <laughs> a lot of work on it and back and forth with the college, you know. <laughs> and so you got your doctorate in counseling. You, you practice as yes, well. I do. You, you I have my private practice. practice, yes. So um, do you, what do you, um, do you believe that it is important for men and women to receive counseling? Obviously, I mean, you're a counselor, but why do you believe it's important? I, I can I answer it this way? I believe that it is extremely important for men and women, whether you're Christian or not, to be emotionally and mentally healthy. Mm-hmm. That's my answer. Yeah. How you get there, it's up to you. Mm. Some people get there by counseling, through yeah. counseling. Some people get there through professional counseling. For example, I'm a professional counselor. But some people don't come to a professional counselor. They might go to a pastor, mm. a pastor, a pastoral counselor, spiritual. My husband is actually a pastoral counselor, a, a spiritual counselor. And so some people prefer to talk to a spiritual It's very important for men and women, Christian or not, to be emotionally and mentally healthy, to make yeah. healthy choices, to have boundaries, to do self-care, to forgive. Mm. That's, that's healthy, to yeah. forgive, to not live in resentment, to not worry about things. That's, in fact, sin, according to Jesus. Mm. And um, to, not, you know, to fight and overcome depression. How do you get there? That is a personal choice. You can do it through counseling, spiritual counseling, professional counseling, through prayer or whatever. And so I'm a counselor, and I'm not trying to be biased here, but I think that counseling can help to uncover underlying issues. Yeah. What I don't believe is to keep people um, dependent mm-hmm. on counseling. That okay. means to 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 if, if a client becomes, you know, you can become addicted to it, really anything. Mm. You know, you can be addicted to food, you can be addicted to alcohol, drugs. Health, well, yeah. you could be addicted to counseling. You can yeah. be addicted, yes, and, wow. and that has happened um, uh, and uh, to counselors. And so if, 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 if I find that a, a client is using counseling as a crutch hmm. rather than leaning on God. Right. And of course, using the advice I give them, that's not using counseling as a crutch. If you use the advice I give you, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. If I give you some advice and you use it, you get better, that's great. But if you're not getting better, but you keep coming back to see the counselor because you've become addicted to the counseling or you just want somebody to talk to and, and it's become a crutch to you, but you're not getting any better because you're not using the advice mm-hmm. or the tools I've given you, then I usually let them go at, at that point. Yeah. Um, it's, and like, I, it's like people who read self-help books all the time, but... Never actually, but, but they, they never get they never get better. <laughs> right. they, they 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 like what they read. They yeah. become addicted and they become mm. obsessed by. Oh my goodness, it sounds good, yeah. but they don't apply it in their own lives. Yeah. And so, answering your question, do I think that men and women should go to counseling if they feel that they are making unhealthy choices and their life is not un, it's an unhealthy or unsafe place? I would say, please seek out counseling whether it's professional or pastoral or you know or talk to a friend mm. you know counseling is i mean if you talk to a friend that's counseling 
Yeah. If they if they say, well, you know, you need to pray more, that they've just counseled you. Yeah. So, um, but but reach out and get healthy. Don't sweep things under the carpet and ignore it. Because if you sweep things under the carpet, you're never going to get better. Mm. And then you say, well, you know, God will heal me in his time. I'm sorry, but God is proactive. God is not going to heal you unless you desire healing. Mm. And that's all over the Bible. You need yeah. to. That's why the Lord asked the, uh, you know, the, the, the man that was sick, you know, do you, do you want? Do you want to be, do you want to yeah. be healed? Mm -hmm. What is it that you want? And he said, well, you know, I, I want to be healed, but every time I want to go to the pool, somebody else gets there behind me. And so as soon as he said, I want to be healed, then the Lord showed him, you don't even have to go to the pool. Mm -hmm. You don't need a, a, a medium there to do anything. The moment you will to be healed, I will heal you. Yeah, well. So you see, um, human will is so powerful, so strong, and God created that in us. And so w you need to choose to be healthy, choose to forgive, choose to live without resentment and anger, worry and depression, choose to love your spouse, choose to love or be a responsible adult and responsible husband and wife. You've got to choose that. And if you cannot, if you're stuck, or you have some emotional or mental issue that causes you to be stuck and you don't know where to find the direction, reach out to a counselor. Mm. Reach out. You can reach out to any, any you know, safe counselor. Yes, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian first. I am a psychologist, but I'm a Christian. Mm. And, and um, you can reach out to a Christian counselor if you reach out to a... But make sure that they're safe, that they, they have some spiritual background. You know, secular counseling, they usually end up, and I'm, this is not trashing anything. I've got lots of good secular counseling friends where I'm trying to reach them to come to the Lord. <laughs> but they are, uh, they are very intelligent, but they don't have God in their lives. Mm. Um, I don't know how they do it because there's, you don't end up giving them hope. Yeah, you don't where's the anchor? There yeah. is no anchor. Mm. So what they have to do is do they rely on medication and all of that. I'm not anti-medication, but I am not pro run to the bottle of medication every time there's a problem. Yeah. I'm not pro, you know, medicine is the cure-all to everything. I'm not mm. pro that at all. Yeah. But I'm not anti-meds. If you're suicidal and, right. and something can get you to calm down, then that's okay. But I'm not going to tell you that the answer is at the bottom of a bottle. Mm. You know, it's, it's, and it's not. You yeah. know, it's, uh, I, I'm a cognitive therapist. What that means is I like to unravel the way you think expose how you're thinking. If there's cognitive distortions, that means there's distorted ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. Just e expose, this is the way you're thinking and that's why you're feeling unsafe or you're feeling depressed, anxious or fearful. Mm -hmm. Okay, Now, this is the way you should think. Yeah, This is the way you should think. So now, let's get from here to here and there are tools how to get cognitive therapy. Mm -hmm. Dr. David Burns uh, wrote a book called... Um, um, uh, wish I remembered it now. Oh, I can't believe it. I probably remember it at 3 a.m. in the morning. It's not important. <laughs> you know. But um, um, he wrote a book called When Panic Attacks. He wrote many, many books. One is called Feeling Good and one is called When Panic Attacks. He's a Christian. Uh, they are not Christian counseling books, but they are, he's a Christian. And he is the number one, in my opinion, he's the number one cognitive counselor in the United States. Mm. He is absolutely phenomenal. You can say that you can you can tell that I'm a fan, <laughs> and he's he's very good. You can go to YouTube and listen to what he says about how you how you think and how you can change your thinking. Yeah, and it's and it's incredible, you know. And so I didn't mean to make a plug in for Dr. David Burns, but he's he's incredible. But if you think it's good resources, you know, we can we can link that in oh, and people can have a look uh, at oh, it. Oh, oh, Greg, don't get me started on resources. <laughs> I've got so many great books that I uh, I think that.
that your audience would actually enjoy reading. They're not boring psychology books that, oh, goodness, you know, only a counsellor will understand. No, <laughs> they're very user-friendly books yeah. that students, you know, whether they're 18 or 35 or 58, mm. will love reading those. It's user-friendly books with real-life stories. Yeah. When Panic Attacks is one of the feeling good, if you're having depression, anxiety, and those kind of things, when Panic Attacks, uh, and, and especially the second book, I was telling the Feeling Good book by Dr. David Burns is one of the best books. It's got exercise, cognitive exercise and tools in almost every chapter. And you could do self-help. You don't have yeah. to go to a counselor. You get that book and you do it yourself. Yeah. And and it's and it's and, but you've got to do it though. Mm-hmm. Not just yeah. read it. Not just read it. No. Yeah, I heard someone describe uh, psychologists or counselors as like mind mechanics. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> like we 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 go places, we go to doctors if if we feel sick, but we won't go to someone who can help us with our thinking or with our mind. Isn't we'll, that strange though? Yeah. Because we'll, we'll the, go to like a physical trainer, yeah, right, to work on our muscles, but we won't. Go to someone who can help us work on our thinking. On our thinking. And the yeah. thing is, the brain is an organ, just mm. like the kidney and the heart. So if something's wrong with our heart or kidney, we'll go to a doctor, right? Yeah, of course. So uh, the brain is an organ, though. I mean, the brain is a very complex organ. Yeah, yeah. And it's got all kinds of things, the neurotransmitters and everything. But, but, the, it, but the brain is still an organ. And if the brain is not functioning in its fullest capacity, why not go to a brain doctor? I'm not talking about a neuro... You could go to a neuroscientist, a neuro, mm. neuro, neurologist. But why not go to a psychologist or a psychotherapist to find out why is my brain stuck here? Yeah. Or why is my brain traumatized? Why is my brain not thinking like normal people? Why am I thinking Why am I destructive yeah. thoughts? And I and everybody else seems normal and happy, but I'm miserable here and thinking, you know, that every, dark thoughts all the time. Mm. Well, because the brain is an organ and we can tell you, you know, a, a good psychologist will be able to tell you how it works, what to do, what not to do, and even change your diet. Even the diet can affect mm. the way you are. But we, there's such a, there's such a, uh, um, what do you call it, um, like a, a, a negative, a negative view yeah, yeah, of yeah. of uh, of of counseling and psychology. Mm. You know, uh, they, they yeah, they 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 such a stigma. Yeah, that's stigma, the word. A stigma against psychology. Uh, there's one uh, in in my in my psychology class. Um, one of the first classes I teach my students is uh, is psychology and Christianity enemies or allies. They're not enemies. They're allies. Mm. Now. Through history, Christians have been against psychology and psychologists, secular psychologists, have been very against Christians. They've been extremely critical of Christians. They say, oh, God is a crutch to you and you can't think for yourself and you, 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 you create a God because you need it. Mm. That's, that's, that's rubbish. Of course, that's, that's not true. But Christians equally have been very anti... So they've remained enemies in history, yeah. but they're actually allies. Yeah. You know, there's so many similar similarities. Uh, they, they both want healing mm. for, for, for the person, and, um, and they need to meet in the middle and, um, and, and remove the stigma so that church people and non-church people can go and get help, you know, yeah. whether it's spiritual help. Well, not whether, spiritual help. That's very important. And then psychological help. Both can work together to give the the person, the individual, the best that they have. Why block them from one? Mm. Yeah. You know, I mean, so good. and that's what I love about you that 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 you operate in both. You know, both 
are valuable in, in, in your estimation. Absolutely, you know? and, absolutely. Yeah. God, of course, the most valuable. Yes, we cannot do either anything without God. Christianity would be empty without God, mm. and uh, psychology would be useless without God. So God has to be the middle of all of that. But, um, I mean, I don't counsel without God in my office. Mm. You know, I, I, I constantly am connecting to God while I'm talking to my client and giving her psychological tools, I'm constantly asking God to give me wisdom mm. and what to do. And sometimes God can fix something in five minutes that five sessions will not fix it for my client, you know. Mm. And, um, and so, you know, but, but uh, it, they're not enemies, they're allies and they can work together, I mean, mm. really, yeah. Well, I wish I had like five hours with you and, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we could just talk about a whole bunch. There was about like I'm five sorry different I questions. I'm sorry I over-talked. No, no, not at all. There was like, just off of that, I had like five or different streams that I would like to go down, but we don't have the time. I, I do like to ask this question to anyone who comes on the podcast before we wrap up. Sure. Um, what is it that drives you when it comes to ministry? I think I have a good, a bit of an idea based on some of your answers, but what is that driving force for you? When I was, um, when I was not a Christian, when I was unsaved, um, and um, the thought that if my life ended at that time, I would have, I would have died without God, uh, is a it, to me is the most horrifying thought ever. Mm. What drives me is this: that there are still billions who do not know God yet. Not millions, I think billions who mm. do not yet know God. The in 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 I'm talking about in the biblical sense. Right who do not know God. Many people know God. Many people know of God or know of Jesus. They have a cerebral or a knowledge knowledge about him, but not a relationship, a life-changing relationship with him through his spirit and through the gospel. And so what drives me is that there's too many people and too little time, mm. very little time. I don't know how, how, how long I have. I mean, I could, well, we could have another 100 years or another two we don't know. But there are just too many people, too many people dying, too many people lost, too many people without God, too many people without peace and joy, and too many making so many mistakes on a daily basis because they are not turning to God to guide them. They are, mm. they are doing it by themselves. And when you don't have God, you usually do turn to yourself. I and mean, who else do you turn to? Or self-help books. And, um, <laughs> and so for me, what drives me is that, that just, it's just... This world, has, is, there's just too many people suffering, struggling, um, and in a very dark place without God. I have about this window to try to tell as many people as I can that there is hope outside of their darkness, hope outside of their struggles, and that hope is in Jesus Christ and him alone. Mm. That drives me. Well, I've... I've had a tremendous time talking to you tonight. Thank you. And I don't know how someone couldn't have a tremendous time talking oh, with you. you. Um, as we finish up here, I'd like to give our guests the, the final words. So however it is that you want to end the podcast, Marshall, we're so grateful to have you join us here on the show. Well, I'm extremely thrilled and grateful uh, to you, Greg, uh, and for your podcast. I pray that it will reach millions of people and all over the world that they will listen and they will uh, draw close to God uh, through your podcast. I would like to pray for the viewers and listeners, if that's okay. Yes, of Is course. Is that all right? Yes, of course. 
Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus and I ask you, Lord, to give every listener here, first of all, hope that you are real, you do exist, you love them beyond measure and that you are there for them, that every listener, every viewer here that has listened intently, that has watched, that they know that you are real and that you will reach for them through your spirit to give them your peace and your joy in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that those that are um, in the midst of deciding whether they are called to serve you or not called to serve you and and when and how this call will look like I pray that you will guide them give them a passion to communicate with you through prayer give them a passion for the word and for your spirit and above all Lord give them a passion to win souls give them a passion for Bible studies and win souls and go to the highways and byways and not be intimidated or fearful but to reach every person male woman men woman and child uh, and to bring Bring them to a closer relationship with you. Give them that boldness, O oh Lord. Remove every distraction and bless them. Bless every viewer. Bless every listener with love and mercy and grace and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.